0: Giving Dharma talks is very good practice on the theme that I talked about last time, on intention and letting go. I have a certain intention of what I'd like to ha- get across this evening. Whether it actually happens or not is out of, bit out of my hands. So uh, I think that's why I talked about that theme last Monday, because it's uh, something I have to practice in myself again and again, particularly the letting go part. <laughs> so. Um, Tonight, the talk isn't as formed, um, and yet that's what I wanted. So maybe there might be a few surprises. So the uh, title of this talk tonight is called The Final Resolution. In the first days of coming here, it's not uncommon to feel the stirrings of the recent past, that which we are involved with before we come, uh, the situations, the events of our lives. When we first come, we very much feel the impact of that on our consciousness. We feel the, sort of, the residue of all of that in our own minds. And so, the first day or so, it does take some time to sort of settle with all of that, because it really does, and as you may have experienced, that sort of reverberates in consciousness. And then we begin to settle down more and in some ways our world begins to shrink. Instead of all of that stuff from the past that moves into future planning and fantasy, in some ways that begins to shrink and we actually find ourselves here more And then the things that we think about or uh, even get involved with become more immediate. They have to do with things that are happening here. And sometimes those things that happen here can even become exaggerated because this is, in a way, our world. You know, sometimes we call that yogi mind, you know, when somebody's sitting next to you and they sneeze and you want to kill the person, you know because they're disturbing your meditation. now, And <laughs> it is that things start to become a bit more sensitive right here. You know, we think more and we're concerned more with our meditation, and if we can feel the breath, if we can stay with the breath, we may have more thoughts about that. Maybe not, Don't think about that so much when you're outside of retreat. So, so the world kind of shrinks a bit, and you are more present, you are more immediate and the thoughts start to align somewhat. I mean certainly there's still thoughts that wander in past and future but there probably is a bit more awareness of that and then the intention to be here more fully. So with the minimal distractions we really can be more fully with ourselves in this environment and in that it might be possible to experience ourselves in a quite a different way in a in a fresh way in a way that we may not have before what might be able to be seen then is that there are two currents in a way this is the metaphor i want to use there's two currents that run through one might be the current that carries us into the world. You know, the current that draws us into the world either through thought or through action. You know, the, the thoughts and, and the actions, uh, the events that have to do with our families, with our jobs, with our financial situation, our relationships, parenting, with our health issues. Some of those, those th- the, the events that pull us into the world And the second current that we begin to feel and touch into is what I call the Dharma current, or the current that pulls us into the Dharma. It doesn't have in some way so much to do with all those events of our lives, all the worldly events. Dharma, Dharma is the Sanskrit word that means the laws or the principles that govern our existence that govern this world and this existence that we live in, not so much about what we're actually doing, but the, the process involved in all of this, the Dharma itself. Without some discrimination and understanding of those two currents, it could be easy to stay caught up in the worldly current. And that happens sometimes when people come on retreats. It's sometimes they don't actually shift. They don't make that shift from being quite caught up in the worldly concerns into more of what I call the Dharma concerns. People sometimes stay quite interested in wanting to resolve their relationships or difficulties at home or money issues. And, and, and that's okay to a certain extent. But there is also something else there that needs to be attended to. Because it's really at that second current, the current of the Dharma, that we're really going to find resolution. The thought in the culture is that the way to resolution, resolution meaning happiness, peace, contentment, sense of security, ease in life, Sense of well-being is through having the things in our life fairly well together. (laughs) At least that's what I was always told (laughs) by my parents, you know, find a good husband, get a good place to live, have family, have children, uh, have enough money to be comfortable, have nice things around you, good friends, and then you'll be happy. So there really is that current (laughs) that runs through of what's going to give resolution to our sense of peace and happiness. But I think what we find, certainly, as we start to settle and start to just touch in, start to feel in to the other current, is that perhaps that way that we've been taught and way we've been shown isn't going to resolve things for us. Maybe there is another way. Maybe there is something else that needs to be listened to, that needs to be touched into. Ananda Ma, she was a great woman saint of this this century, I believe. Early, she was still alive in the early uh, 1900s, a loved saint in India. And she pointed out also, she talked about two currents in a little different way. She said, there are two currents, the first current being the world. And she said, in this current, it is, it's where want follows upon more want. And that sense of want is perpetually stimulated. And it is. <laughs> and this was in the early, uh, well, she actually died in, the mid, I think in the 1950s, she was even the 70s? Yeah, right. So, so she, she was alive enough in, in, during our culture that she had a sense of, of what we're experiencing, but probably not to the extent that we are impacted by these messages of want and what, what we can gain through uh, pursuing these desires. She said, in the worldly current, you will never find fulfillment. Never find fulfillment. She said, the second current is the current of one's true being. And she said, and this is the current that establishes one in completion, in fulfillment. She says, if one endeavors endeavors to fulfill oneself by entering the current of true being, This current will lead one to the perfect poise of one's own true being. So it really is a kind of a shift that begins to happen. We wake up, we realize that that current that we've been following, we've been pulled into, isn't going to bring us to this place of fulfillment. And yet certainly the message is that it's through these worldly issues that we will find the answers to our longing. There is a there is deep conditioning that that's how it's going to be. That if I can just line up my experiences, this is, if I can line up my, my pleasant, enjoyable experiences close enough to each other, then I will continually be stimulated by this pleasant feeling. So if I can get enough of these beautiful, wonderful, pleasurable things around me, situations around me, people around me, clothes, you know, the way, if I could get myself to look the way I wanted to, you know, all this pursuing, if I could get that all lined up, then it's going to happen. I'll I'll feel that sense of fulfillment. But we're looking in the wrong place. We're looking in a place that it's not going to happen. You've probably heard the story of the Sufi Nasruddin, who lost his, the story goes that he lost his key one night, and he was looking out under the lamppost, and someone walked by and said, "Nasrudin, what are you doing? He said, well, I've lost my key. And the friend said, well, where did you lose it? And he said, well, in the house. Well, Nasruddin, why are you looking out under the lamppost? Well, there's more light out here, he says. Well, it's not going to do it. (laughs) He's looking in the wrong place. He can search and search and search for what he's looking for. He's not going to find it. In the same way, it's true for us when we allow ourselves to continue to look for some kind of resolution in those worldly matters, in those areas of the world. The thing is, we're always going to have worldly concerns. I mean, I think that you probably have figured this out by now. It's like they don't go away. You know, no matter how long we've practiced in the Dharma, how long we've even turned towards that current of the Dharma, there's still the issues, there's still the difficulties, there's still the problems that occur in our life with our jobs, with our relationships, our families. Uh, We lose things that we love, people that we love. We're separated from things that we love. We don't get what we want. There's the constant dukkha (laughs) or unsatisfactory aspect. It doesn't happen that way. So it seems that by entering the Dharma current, the question actually shifts. It's not so much about how well I've succeeded at my goals or succeeded at getting all these experiences lined up, whether they're inner states of experience or outer states of experience. Seems the question that we ask more is, how much am I suffering? like it's a a more subtle question, like how much am I suffering in my life? How much am I falling? How much is my mind falling into hellish states of mind? Because that's really more the issue. It's not about how things are situated in my life, but what's happening in my mind? What's happening in the mind in terms of, satisfaction, and peacefulness, and, and and ease of well-being. In a way, we shift the location of the problems. We shift the location of the problem, and we look at that suffering element itself, because that's really what the teachings are about. When the Buddha talks about freedom, what he's talking about is freedom from suffering. It's not freedom that stands by itself. It's not freedom that's something that's abstract. But very specifically, it's freedom from suffering. And so the practice, or the Dharma practice, starts turning towards looking more at that particular element. And it can become so refined and so subtle that we are looking at that moment to moment to moment. Where is the suffering? Where is the unsatisfactory aspect? Where is the pain in our lives arising from? Because it doesn't have to be, it's not determined by how things are around us in our life. I met a highly revered Tibetan master when I was in India because that's where many of them live now, although this was um, Kempo. Kempo, he actually lives in Burma, but he was in India when I met him. And I, I heard from actually Sharon Salzberg, he's one of Sharon's teachers, th- About a little bit about his story. He's an elderly man and he um, escaped from Tibet like many of the others. When he was living in Tibet, he was a highly revered master. And in the escape, he lost most of all of his family. He was able to survive himself, but when he got to India, he was penniless. He was, nobody knew him. He had no uh, status or authority outwardly. And he had to completely start his life all over again. And sometimes when I think about that that level of tragedy and devastation that one can experience in themselves, I just think the the level of, of pain and deep trauma must be so profound. And yet in meeting Kempo now, He is truly an inspiration of complete equanimity and compassion. And to look in his eyes, there is certainly the experience that there is nothing moving there. There's no mind moving (laughs) one way or the other. To be with him and to look into his eyes is a transmission of that peace and that completion and that fulfillment. Because nothing's nothing's stirring there. Nothing's troubling. There's no suffering element arising there. And to put those two together for me is really important, important to contemplate how somebody can go through such incredible despair and devastation not that long ago and still be resting in such an equanimous place within himself. So it certainly points for us to something that is possible, that we don't necessarily have to have the conditions of our life in a particular order, but that it's possible to still feel and rest into some very deep and profound place in ourselves that is not In anguish. We don't have to feel anguish about the things in our life. So what is it that actually shifts? What is it that actually changes? Because here we have the worldly message that we need to get everything just right in our lives, and then the Dharma says you don't. Something else can happen. There can be another element of transformation that actually at some level it doesn't matter at all what's happening outwardly, outside of ourselves, that we can still come to an incredible place of peace. So what is that? That is what I call the final resolution. What is that final resolution? How can I live and, and experience such extreme difficulties and not fall into anguish? This yogi came in today to see, he, was, he said, this is a recap of my year, and I, and I don't remember all, this. he said, my, I think it's right, so if the yogi's here and I've got it wrong, I'm just kind of proving a point. He said, my wife's mother died, I lost my job, My house almost burned down through a brush fire, and there was one more thing. And it was like, wow, you know, lots of things, lots of things impacting. But not so much anguish, not so much anguish. What changes? What shifts for us so that we can handle, we can experience, we can uh, confront these difficulties in our life? It seems that what changes is that we are no longer struggling in the face of these circumstances. Our relationship to these events of our lives starts to shift. There is more the ability to allow things to happen as they happen. There's the ability to be more accepting, to embrace all these conditions as they come and as they go. And as this strengthens, as this ability to allow the conditions to arise and to pass, as this strengthens, the mind starts to gain the strength from that, the mind quiets down, and we become less reactive to all of these conditions. We're not as reactive. We're not in so much struggle. We're not pushing and pulling against the conditions of life. And the wonderful thing about a retreat experience is that you can begin to see this so simply, so easily. And every person who comes on retreat starts to get some sense of that, that shift that happens through the practice of letting things be, Letting things be, we say that again and again, just let it be, come back, return, don't get invested, don't get caught up, just come back. Again and again, we start to feel more capacity within, within ourselves to let things be. We notice the way that we're struggling, we notice ways we're fighting, we, knows, we notice the ways we get really angry about how things are. We see if we can just embrace that, let it be. And in doing that again and again and again, some aspect of the struggle starts to die away. You know, we, it's very much like the onion metaphor. There's, when we peel an onion, there's many, many layers. And as we stop struggling against our experience, even at, in any way whatsoever, even just noticing how angry we're getting and then we don't get angry at ourselves for getting angry, it's one layer it starts to be peeled away. Sure, there may be other layers underneath that, but already we're starting to, to get to the core. But actually, when you look in the middle of an onion, there's a little empty place. <laughs> there's this little empty hole where there's the last layer and then there's this empty nothing there. <laughs> so we're just peeling away these layers. And we feel that. We feel that capacity to just allow things to happen a little bit more easily. This is how the healing happens. Somebody asked me today, how is the healing, how does healing happen in this practice? This is the healing. It's Little by little by little. We're just not reacting so much to what's going on. So we're looking at our relationship. Rather than changing the inner conditions, rather than having to change the outer conditions, just looking at how are we with ourselves in relationship to all this? Is the reactivity, the anger, the contraction, the tension arising towards what we see? Or can we open in a more tender way a compassionate way towards what we see. And this play that we have every moment, every moment we have the possibility to respond to what's happening in a different way. Oftentimes what we do to try to resolve our issues is we get caught in analyzing trying to figure something out. I mean, we have such a strong tendency to think that the resolution, a final resolution, is if we could just figure it out and get to the core of the issue through our thinking about it. And how often do we do that? We just, the mind gets hooked and we think and we think and we think trying to get to some kind of understanding because once we figure it out, it'll drop away. The problem will drop away. But what we really find is that we're just caught in this recycled thought. We just recycle the same old thoughts again and again and again. And we get so exhausted, so tired by it. And it's usually these old thoughts that are tainted with guilt, and worry, fear, anger, self-pity. All that's thrown in there, hopefully with a little bit of humor. We delve into the past. We delve into our old memories and events. And, 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 we, and I think that there is the assumption that through doing that, we are going to resolve something. And certainly, um, not to knock therapy, because I actually uh, think it's, it's very, very useful at times, But the therapeutic tradition has the tendency to just keep digging and digging and digging to see if something can be worked through so that one can come to this place of fulfillment. But I wonder if it isn't just endless, just endless. You get to one uh, understanding about something that happened as a child, and then there's a whole other thing that opens up. There's another thing and another thing, just endless. So where's the freedom in that? Where's the freedom in that? Just following these old thoughts, these old memories, these things that have already passed, already finished. So we might say that as we shift these two currents, we're shifting from content to process. In the Dharma current, we're more interested in the process itself, the way things are happening, how things are happening, looking more carefully about our relationship moment to moment to how things are happening. Content is really old, the content of our mind, the stories of our mind, it's old, it's the past, it's, it's dead. <laughs> it doesn't really have that much vibrancy. The process, this moment, as we look into this moment, the here and now, this is where the vibrancy is. This moment when the content, the story, the thoughts start to drop away. The mind gets somewhat quiet and we touch something. We touch something that we could say is real. It's real. It's not imaginary. It's not made up through thought, through the mind, but something that's real, that's tangible. A, th- a month ago, when I was on a retreat, this one yogi said, it was so beautiful, he, was just, he just had this wonderful insight, and he, he was in a question and answer period in the hall, and he said, I now see how following my thoughts causes suffering. And he was just like so delighted, he said, because it takes me away from that which is real. And he said, now I can taste what's real. He said, the breath is real. Sounds are real. And I know I have a sense I can taste what's real. And I and I feel like now my practice has begun. I've just started walking the path. He made that shift. He made the shift from the content, the storyline that he was getting lost in and caught up in, and he touched something that had vibrancy, that had life, that was immediate. So shifting from this content, shifting from what we might say worldly insights, insights into life to Dharma insights to Dharma insights what are Dharma insights what we mean by Dharma insights because this is insight practice insight meditation Dharma insights they're really penetrating penetrating insights into the here and now These are insights. It's kind of that aha experience. It doesn't actually come through the mind. It doesn't come through thought. But it's it's something that just through that paying attention and watching and looking without so much mind involved, something just (laughs) wakes up. Aha. I never saw it like that before. Something just becomes very clear. And these insights have the potential to cut through our our old constructed frameworks, the way that we generally think about things and perceive things. These insights have a way of cracking some kind of a a shell that we feel like we're trapped in, the shell of ourself, this shell of, 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 of separation, It just cracks it a little bit, and we feel a bit freer, a bit looser. There's actually an energetic response that comes with these insights. We just see something a bit different. And this is where practice comes in. This is where the practice that we're doing here comes in, because this situation really is is generated to give support for dharma insight, for the insights in our life that are going to make a difference. They're going to make a difference. This container that we create here, both with the environment and with the technique, the methodology, it gives support for this exploration. And somebody reminded me that when I was saying a little bit about this earlier, that actually what else we give here is the permission to let go. And, and that's not a small thing, you know, to really, we're in a very protected and safe environment, and we're saying, okay, just let go of the <laughs> familiar, let go of the things that you're usually involved in thinking about, let go let go and see what can be touched see what can be felt and I think it takes a very special environment to begin to go deeply into that exploration to have the permission the freedom to just say okay I'm gonna let go you don't have any responsibilities as I was saying on the first night You know, you don't have to engage, you don't have to be in your roles, you don't have to do much work, you don't have to talk to anybody. Just to let go, to let go and start to sense what it is that's being pointed to. What is it when, what is that we're pointing to when we say the dharma or dharma insight? And to let that start to bubble to penetrate consciousness, to see what happens in that. So the practice, this is where the practice, this is why we, we this, this practice is so important. It's based on what's called the four foundations of mindfulness, which was laid out by the Buddha, Satipatthana Sutta, one of his teachings, which is really a systematic practice of mindfulness to four areas. Mindfulness towards the body, the senses. second one is the mindfulness towards the feeling, the feeling life. The third foundation is mindfulness towards the mind or thought or mind states. And the fourth foundation is mindfulness towards Dharma itself towards those principles and laws that govern our life. Really turning our mindfulness towards those things. And that's what we're doing here. With the body, with thoughts, with feelings, motions, sensations. Turning the mindfulness towards those areas that were previously neglected that we don't really give that much attention to. And for some people have never given attention to before in their whole life before they came to this retreat in this way. It's a whole new way of attending to ourselves. Bringing this mindful, this loving, mindful attention to ourselves. Not resisting. Not pushing away that which we find unpleasant or... uh, uh, that which we don't like, not pushing away through the fear of the unknown or through aversion toward that which is unpleasant. So by bringing this gentle mindfulness again and again and again to each moment, it's like a gentle caress, a gentle caress to the different aspects of our being. And a deep cleansing happens, a deep cleansing where we gradually open and the knots that we experience emotionally mentally physically start to release just start to release we start to release those knots they release and they dissolve release and dissolve through this kind attention and then we're able to see as well the way that we do overlay our experience what we put on top of our experience with more contraction and aversion and tensions the thoughts that we bring to our experience, the attitudes that we bring to our experience like, I hope this will go away. We get to see what we're doing that actually where we don't allow ourselves just to let things be. And then we're able to see, as we start to work with this push and this pull and the way that we want to get rid of things and hold on to things in our experience, we start to see things more with bare attention, what we call bare experience, where a sadness will come and we just see it's just sadness. Or we'll have a contraction around our heart and we just see it's a contraction. We don't have to make anything more out of it. We don't have to build it up into a whole story about our lives and what we need to do about it when we get back home. We just feel the contraction. Or the mind is very restless and agitated. We just experience restless mind. We don't have to condemn ourselves and make ourselves wrong or bad. It's just restless mind. And more and more, we're able to be in this place of really allowing, having an accepting, allowing relationship to our experience as it unfolds. I often get poetry that um, friends and yogis send to me, and it's such a delight to read about people's experiences from their poetry. And I received this one a few months ago from a woman in Canada, it's called The Witness. I'm taking the scissors, snipping a seam here, a buttonhole there, unraveling the rose, but slowly and carefully, no tugging with impatience, resting, remembering how this sweater used to keep me warm during those terrible, dark days of crying for the cold I couldn't keep out. So, in the unraveling, I am gently turning and winding the crimped, bent strand of wool, making a solid, round ball of yarn with which to knit my new jacket. And even though it's winter and my skin stands bare against the ice wind, I feel warmer than I have in years. Even though my skin stands bare against the ice wind, I feel warmer than I have in years. In a way, that's what we're doing, isn't it? Stripping away all this junk. And even though it may feel uncomfortable and bare and, and rather unpleasant, we wish it wasn't like this, we feel something different. We feel something warm. And as somebody said today, I feel something right. Even though many things in my life seem to be falling apart, because I'm doing things differently, feel it's right. We start to sense that as we drop more and more into that current, into the Dharma current. We're cultivating and strengthening the awareness. We become more focused, more concentrated. The mind becomes more clear. We feel more calm. A certain amount of tranquility arises. And all of this allows us to practice the fourth foundation. The fourth foundation, which is looking into the dharma itself, where truly penetrating insights occur. Penetrating insights, dharma insights, that really can crack this solid way that we are viewing our existence. There's three... The Buddha talked about three characteristics of existence. And in our practice, we can turn our mindfulness, we can turn our attention towards these three characteristics as a way to begin to penetrate these, the Dharma itself. We can see as we're sitting what's called anicca or impermanence. How our conditions, how the conditions of our, in ourselves and outside of ourselves are just coming and going always changing, dissolving, appearing and dissolving, appearing and dissolving. And we see that there's nothing we can hold on to in that. Thoughts, feelings, sensations, sounds, sights, taste, touch, coming and going. When we reflect on this deeply, when we see this deeply in our practice, we see there's nothing to hold on to. And that becomes so clear through the mindfulness, through the seeing that we can't hold on. We can't hold on anymore because things are just coming and going, coming and going. So, so the things of our life, that sometimes um, even relationships or possessions around us or um, how we know ourselves to be, we can't hold on to it anymore. <sighs> that insight itself starts to loosen that construction. So, seeing into the impermanent nature of things. The second characteristic is the dukkha in Pali, or the unsatisfactory element of existence. Because because everything's coming and going and coming and going, we see that we're going to be left empty-handed. We're not going to be left with anything in the end. Nothing can we hold on to. So everything is unreliable. It's unsatisfactory. We can't really gain satisfaction in the things, inner, outer things of our life. So when this is understood, we stop looking for fulfillment in inner conditions, outer conditions. because so We see it's unreliable. It's always changing. It's not going to bring us that lasting fulfillment. So the impermanence, the unsatisfactory element and the third characteristic that the buddha saw into and that we are asked to look into and reflect on with our mindfulness is what's called anatta or the selfless nature of things the not self aspect which when people hear sometimes they go oh no the not self piece it's so confusing i don't understand that but this too when we deeply reflect into it we start having some sense of what it is and it just begins to loosen the fabric that tight fabric that we've always worn and this is the insight that we we see Through the impermanence, that things are not so solid, things are coming and going, coming and going, they're not reliable, and we turn that towards ourselves and we see, well, yes, this is all just coming and going, coming and going, thoughts, feelings, sensations, sights, tastes, sounds, smells, where is there anything that's permanent here? Is this even solid? Is this so separate from everything else? the way that I always imagined it to be. And we see that actually things are just changing very, very quickly, and in some ways that gives the illusion of some solidity, like the frames of a movie and watching a movie, just individual frames, but it's moving very fast and it gives the appearance of something much more solid or the continuity of some story. But it's not solid. This is not solid, these changing, momentary changing elements. And in seeing that, we we start to see actually there's not somebody here or some core that all this is referring back to. All of this experience is referring back to. But what happens is we superimpose an idea of self on top of a reality that is actually selfless. We impose this idea. And then we think experience is referring back to a fixed, unchanging self. But in the clarity of our mindfulness, we see that nothing is fixed, not even this, that we are part of a living, alive, vibrant, pulsating system. We are not separate. And seeing this connects us with our true being. And we see that that current of true being is no different than any other being or current that runs through any other being or thing. see the Dharma insights, as we start to shift from the world, the burden of the world, and start to quiet down and let ourselves start to feel into this which is not so familiar, it's not known, it's rather mysterious. It's all rather mysterious. And yet something can be known. Something can be understood. Something can be touched. And it's these Dharma insights that then allow us to live in the world. It's not like the world just disappears. And when we really understand the Dharma in its fullest sense, then we go back in the world and there's no more issues. Everything's still there. In fact, all the... from what I can see in my own life, in my friend's life, there's a lot of issues, a lot of difficulties, a lot of problems, and we see in the world itself, in our relationship to the world, all the tragic issues that are taking place. Somebody said that I should come in here and read the headlines from all the week's newspapers to really sort of remind us of the world and the current of the world. But we take these Dharma insights that we, we, we start to have on retreat, we go back into the world, and this shifts things, this changes things, it changes our relationship in the world. There's a saying, perhaps you've heard a Zen saying, that before enlightenment, mountains are mar- mountains. And then we have deep insight, and mountains are no longer mountains anymore. We see through. We see the illusory nature of them. But then we go back to our house, we wash the dishes, and mountains are mountains again. Dishes are dishes again. They're there. (laughs) They still have to be washed. But it's not like mountains are mountains again like they were before we saw, before we saw through. We're not deceived any longer. There's no more deception about the truth of things. There's no more deception about the truth of this and that. And that whole idea, the concept, the duality of this and that starts to dissolve and disappear. And from that place we are approaching and relating and responding to the world in a way that we would never be able to po- never be able to otherwise never be possible this is the power of the dharma let's sit for a few minutes This is from Huang Po, the Fourth Zen Patriarch of China. Let the mind together with its world be quietened down to a perfect state of tranquility. Let thought be cast in the mystery of quietude. When the mind is tranquilized in its deepest abode, its entanglements are cut asunder. May all beings be happy, may all beings be peaceful, may all beings know their true being.